Well, good morning, church family, and happy new year. And um, I want to share with you a passage of scripture that uh, I really hope that uh, we can grasp as really the vision for our lives. It's certainly a vision that is a direction that God is taking our church in. And um, I, I want to share this passage of scripture with you. This is a, this is just going to be a, a, um, a just a visionary North Point passage that I just hope that uh, that that you receive with joy and uh, will will be prepared then to live and act on it. Um, someone once said that life always drifts on the highway when vision sleeps at the wheel. And so we're going to have a, a passage of Scripture that's going to give us some vision today for how it is that God wants us to live. And that passage of Scripture is in James chapter 1. It's the New Testament book of James chapter 1. And I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 12. So take your Bibles, if you would, and uh, turn to the New Testament book of James chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. You'll find that on page 854 of your church Bibles. 854 of your church Bibles, your navy blue Bibles in front of you. If you don't have a copy of God's Word and you'd like a copy to take home as yours, just take it and uh, put your name in it and you can have it as, uh, as our gift to you. So uh, we want everybody to have a copy of the Bible. James chapter 1, the New Testament book of James chapter 1. We're going to be introduced to who James is and why he wrote and what lessons, uh, what message, what vision God has for us through His letter. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way... The rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for gathering us here in this room on Sunday, the Lord's Day, Resurrection Day. Thank you so much for seeing us through this past year. 
and for what you have in store for us. And which you will reveal one day at a time. Father, please feed us now. Give us wisdom for the difficulties in our life situations. Help us discern what it is you want us to do and then give us the strength and energy and the initiative and the fortitude to then do it. Help us not to be hearers of your word, but doers. And help me get out of the way again so that what you want said gets said. So that we will be the people you want us to be to the glory of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know if you had a chance to spend time with your family here uh, over the past uh, you know, couple of weekends. Uh, the Bolting Houses stayed here in Champaign this year. Sometimes we travel uh, to uh, Sarah's home in Defiance, Ohio. That's where she grew up, Defiance, Ohio. And uh, then uh, my hometown is in Tulsa. And uh, it's been a while since I've spent Christmas uh, with my family, with uh, my brothers. Here's a picture of my brother's. Um, these are the Bolting House boys. On my right is uh, my younger brother, Rick. He was born uh, exactly two years after, on the day. We, we share the same birthday. And, uh, uh, yeah, we only got one cake. I'm damaged by that. So, anyway, when you face trials of many kinds, that's my try, one cake. So, any, but I got the, I got the frosted roses. <laughs> that's my cake. So, anyway, um, but that's my younger brother, Rick, and there's me. And then, and then on my left is my uh, older brother, Rob. And uh, I'm, you can only, I'm sorry that you can only see half of him there in the picture. I'm really not sorry that you can only see half of him. It's, what a pity. It's my brother, Rob. And um, I don't know if you ever had to live in the shadow of an older brother. Or an older sister, you know, and uh, uh, I, I lived in the sh- I lived in Rob's shadow. I mean, I mean, and and uh, I, for a minute there, I thought growing up, my name was Rob's brother, Bolting House, because you know, oh, you're Rob's brother. Yeah, I am. I'm Rob's brother, but I have a name. You know, well, you're Rob's brother. You're Rob's brother this and Rob's brother that and having to follow him in school. And, and, and it, it, was, it, it, was, it was difficult because Rob was always just a little bit more, you know, a little bit more. He was a, he was a little bit more personable and a little bit more popular. And he was just a little more, uh, you know, a little more athletic. And he, he got on the first team a little bit more. And he just was just a little bit more. And I cannot tell you, growing up, I just really absolutely frustrated me to no end to know that my older brother, Rob, having to live in his shadow, it was just a little bit more. And I've gotten over that, though. Um, <laughs> Can you imagine living with an older brother who was God? Can you imagine that? 
And you, you, you know, don't you, that, I mean, Jesus was not an only child. Are you aware of that? Are you aware that, that, that after Jesus' supernatural birth, then Mary and Joseph, I mean, they had, they had other children. They had at least six other boys and girls. We, we read about, uh, we, I mean, we have their names, Matthew 13, 55 and 56. Uh, you know, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't, this, isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers, he's talking about Jesus, aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? They're the boys. And then, and then aren't all his sisters with us? All his sisters means there's got to be at least two. So you've got this, you've got, then Jesus, there's seven. In the family, what would that have been like? And, 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 and Jesus is the older brother. What, what would that have been like to, to, to have an older brother who was God? I mean, we've all had older brothers who thought they were God, of course. But I mean, to, I mean he really was. And, and then, of course, when there's conflict in the family with the brothers and sisters and everything, we're, we're parents, we know kind of you know, how it works. And the, and, and, the, and, the, and the kids say, you know, I never did anything wrong. But I mean, Jesus, I mean, he was the only one who really told the truth on that. He never really did anything wrong. And then and, and, and you've got these other siblings and and you've got this rivalry and then you have uh, this you know I can I can just picture around the, the dining room table the frustration especially at, you know as the kids progress through you know the teen years and 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 you know James being so frustrated because you know this this older brother he, he really was perfect and sinless and uh, you know throwing down the napkin and leaving mom you always preferred him more you know that kind of thing and you're saying oh Randy you're just kind of creating uh, something here no I don't know that I am I I, I don't know that I am I mean uh, 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 Mark chapter three verse twenty one. This is when, you know, everybody's an adult now. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. He's out of his mind. My brother thinks he's God. He's crazy. He's just absolutely a nut job. And John chapter 7, verse 5 is much more penetrating for even his own brother's did not believe in him. Wow. I mean, it wasn't the Brady Bunch. Okay? It wasn't the Brady Bunch. And, and think about this. When Jesus was crucified, to whom did he entrust the care of Mary? Huh? Remember? The Apostle John. Right? John. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Why the Apostle John? There's four other boys in the house. They can't take care of mom? What? Well, maybe they don't want to take care of mom. Or maybe Jesus didn't want them to take... I mean, I mean, his own brothers did not believe in him. You see what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? But we keep the story going and we turn to Acts chapter 1 verse 14. It's up on the screen and then we read this verse and it's, it says, They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus. And then verse 14 says, And with his brothers. What's all that about? 
And then we keep flipping through the pages of the New Testament. We come to Galatians chapter 1. And the Apostle Paul talks about when he first came, when, 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 after his conversion to Christ, he found his way then to Jerusalem. And it says, I, Paul says, I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. Whoa. And then, and then in, James, in Galatians chapter 2 verse 9 it says, Paul says, James, Peter, and John, and the descriptor is those refuted to be pillars. Pillars. So now James is, what does that mean? That means he is a key leader in the church in Jerusalem. And you, you, you go, what happened? What happened to the guy who said, my brother's a whack job? To now he's a pillar in the church. What, what happened? What caused the change? And then we read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7. Then Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appeared to James. It was the resurrection. It was, it was the resurrection. The resurrected Christ appeared to James. I mean, he paid a personal visit to this James. And that just transformed his life. And it transformed the trajectory of his life. Um, more than just him being a believer now, then he became a pastor. He became a lead pastor in the church at Jerusalem. And a brokered peace in a very difficult uh, uh, issue that threatened to divide God's people in Acts chapter 15 that brought the Christians together of Hebrew ethnicity and of non-Hebrew or Gentile or Greek ethnicity and brought them all together to say, you know, we are one in Christ and God used this, this half-brother of Jesus in an amazing way. And he loved that church and pastored them and, and then he loved the church as it gathered and as the church then was scattered because persecution hit God's people and, those, and they had to flee. I can't imagine what it would be like if, you know, a hundred of you had to flee uh, Champaign County. You had to leave and go elsewhere in a part of the country. And then another hundred of you had to go someplace else. And then another hundred of you. And then there, and then there would just be just a small section of us left, you know. I mean, I, I, I just... And then when you go to another part of the country, it's not like, you know, you're not well... You're really not welcome there. The Hebrew Christians left and they went to another part of the Roman Empire and when they got settled in those cities they were discriminated against because they were Hebrew and then when they tried to get together with some of the other Hebrews those Hebrews discriminated against them because they were Hebrew Christians. It was kind of double discrimination that went on and it affected their pocketbook. You know, they had great jobs in Jerusalem but when they went and they went out to the marketplace they were, they were cheated or when they went into the workforce, maybe an employer just decided to say, well, we're just not going to pay you this week. Too bad. And they had no recourse whatsoever for that. And, or, or their children would have been discriminated against in, in terms of schooling. And, and very difficult. And they were taking an economic hit because of their faith. And they were getting discouraged. And, and life was difficult. And it was hard. And they're thinking, you know, God... We're following you. We're trusting in Christ, but life is difficult. What's going on? And they need some encouragement. And you know what? Then they get this letter from their pastor, Pastor James. And James 
writes to them. And notice in verse 1, he begins not with James, the brother of Jesus. He's not name dropping there. His authority is not going to come from the fact that he grew up in the same house. And, and he doesn't say James, you know, um, uh, you know, born from the sacred womb of the Virgin Mary, you know. Uh, no, 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 he doesn't do that. He doesn't even say James, the senior minister at the First Church in Jerusalem. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. A servant, meaning, meaning I am absolutely surrendered to the will of Jesus. My older brother. He's not my brother, he's my master. Uh, a servant meaning unswerving loyalty. Uh, unquestioned obedience. That's how he begins. And he, and he says to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. The 12 tribes. Meaning he's going to be talking to Christians of Hebrew ethnicity. Whose lives are scattered. I don't, not just geographically, but as I've said, scattered in, in, in their life situation. And they're trusting God and they're following God. And they're, they're doing their best to be obedient. And yet life is difficult. Life is incredibly difficult. And, and is there a word from God when life is difficult? And James answers with the word from God. He answers with the verses that we read in verses 1 through 12. And what I want to do is I want to tell you first, I want to tell you in one sentence what it is James tells the Christians scattered in, in the first century and, and because it's a message that we need to hear today if we're feeling scattered in life's difficulties. I want to tell you what that message is and then I want to respond to maybe, maybe uh, two questions that Christians then were wondering about, maybe we're wondering about, all right? So that's where we're going. Here's the message. Here's the truth that James is communicating to those scattered. And it's simply this. God gives you the difficulties that you have. You're having difficulties in life? Okay. You wonder why? You wonder, God, what did I do to, de to deserve? James says, that's the wrong question, not what did I do. The question is, what is God doing? And here's what God is doing. God gives you your difficulties to develop your life. That's it. God gives you your difficulties to develop your life. God gives you the trials that you have to transform you. And us, us, God gives us. He gives us our difficulties to develop our lives. Now, what do we mean by trials and difficulties? That's what James says there in verse 2. Whenever you face trials of many kinds. Well, what does that mean? Well, James actually has a specific kind of trial in mind that shows up in different ways. He's still speaking about a specific kind of trial. See, he's not talking about the normal trials, all right, that we face. He's not talking about, you know, I've got to write a term paper. Well, that is a trial, but that's not what James is talking about. He's not talking about the trials of parenting. You know, you need to get up at one in the morning and get Stevie, Ben, Mary, Susie. That's not, that's, 
That, that may feel like a trial at one in the morning, but that's not what James is talking about. He's not talking about being a newlywed, you know, you know that first year, you know that first year of, of, of being married, remember that first year and it felt like a trial and then, you know, and then that, that second year when it felt like a trial and then that 13th year when it felt like a trial. He's not talking about that. That's normal. That's normal. Finding new clients, going into grad school, seeking tenure, boot camp in the military. That's just normal. That's not what James is talking about. And he's not talking about the kinds of trials that come our way, you know, when we make blunders. All right? You, I mean, you know, if you plagiarize, you're going to get... An F, you're going to flunk out, you get a zero, and that's unpleasant. It's an unple- but that's not what James is talking about, because you deserve that. You get a speeding ticket, you, well, that's a, oh, that's a trial. Well, it's difficult. It is. You deserve it. It's not what James is talking about. What's he talking about? What does he mean by these trials? He's talking about undeserved difficulties, undeserved trials. He's talking about inescapable suffering. You didn't deserve it. You didn't merit it. Maybe it's persecution for being a Christian in a foreign empire. And that leads to poverty. Maybe it is being persecuted to the degree that a citizen of the Roman Empire is going to... They've got... They've got... They've got... You in their crosshairs, and they're just going to make life difficult for you because they can. And so they slap a lawsuit on you. And, and you say, why did this happen? I don't deserve it. Or maybe you are exploited because of your faith. Or maybe, as I said earlier, you're in a location of the employer decides to just withhold wages. Or, or maybe it's sickness or bereavement or disappointing news that you weren't expecting, you didn't deserve. See, the book of James deals with all of those kinds of issues that I just mentioned. Undeserved, inescapable difficulties and trials. And to those, Pastor James says to his flock then and now, to me, to us, he says, I want you to count it, to consider it pure joy. Now listen, When James says to count it pure joy, he is not saying, come on, put on a happy face. Not saying that. He's not. God is not telling us, when he says to count it pure joy, God is not telling us how we should feel. He's telling us the way he wants us to think. The way he wants us to think. And he wants us to think. He wants us to have an attitude and a mindset and an outlook that understands that these trials, these undeserved difficulties, are a part of his plan for our lives. He wants us to see through the trials to discover God's plan. That's what he's saying when it says to count it pure joy, my brothers. Um, Years ago, one of our elders here at Windsor Road, a gentleman by the name of Ray DeGrief, Ray went to college. His undergraduate degree was from uh, the United States Naval Academy. 
And I asked Ray what his first year was like in the United States Naval Academy. And he said it was, uh, it was a, a, you know, a nine-month trial. <laughs> I mean, it's every day. If you are a first-year a, a, a plebe, you know, that's what they call them because that's the ro- lowest class in the Roman Empire. That's what they're called there. <laughs> first year, you've got to, you, first of all, you've got to go double time wherever you go. It doesn't matter where you go. You, you, there's no walking for first year for plebes there at, at the Naval Academy. You go double time, and when you turn a corner, it's at 90 degrees. Wherever you go, it doesn't matter. Uh, for the first year in the Naval Academy, you have to, you have to, um, Read an article from the front page of the paper, and you have to read an article from the sports page of the paper every day in the event that an upperclassman will ask you for that information about that article. You've just got to have that at the tip of your tongue, ready to go. When it's time to eat, you are the last to eat after you serve everybody else at, at your table. And if there is enough food then you can eat. That's the way it works. You also have to know a, 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 a specific military topic of the week for discussion in the event that you are asked about it by an upperclassman. And in addition to that, you have to know how many days until the next uh, Army-Navy game, and you have to know how many days until graduation. And all of that in addition to 19 hours of school. And... I said, for, for your first year, that's, that, that's the deal. And I said, Ray, why, well, why do you have to know all that? He said, well, why do you have to know? He says, because they're training me to be a leader. And they're training me to think on my feet. And they're training me to make command decisions at a moment's notice, without wavering, without doubting. And that's just, that's the way it is. Did it help? He says, oh, yes. Oh, yeah. You want to do it again? No. <laughs> no. Are you nuts? <laughs> Only a preacher would ask that. <laughs> but you see, God gives us difficulties to train us, to develop our lives, to transform us. One professor at the seminary where I attended put it this way. God is more interested in your holiness than your happiness. He's more interested in your purity than power. He's more interested in your faithfulness than your financial success. He's more interested in your endurance than your reputation. He's more interested in your eternal life than your external wealth. He's more interested in your long-term joy than your short-term term happiness, and he's more interested in your good than he is your desires. So what I need to understand is that when I'm going through a difficult time, I need to see that God is God and he's in control, and if I choose to look through those trials to discover his plan for what he wants in my life, then that will automatically put me on a, a course, a, a graduate school level spiritual course of growth and maturity. You see, the, 
you see in these verses how this leads to this, leads to this, leads to this. Do you see that there in verses 2 and 3 and 4? And when you, you face trials, we need to see through those trials because to what God is doing because those trials are, are, are about the testing of my faith. God wants to see the quality of my faith and he wants to stretch the quality of my faith so that I will develop perseverance. This leads to perseverance. And then perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. And when I'm mature and complete, I'm not lacking anything. And so what I need to understand is that when a difficulty comes my way, you know, God is, God is basically saying, Randy, you're, you're, you're lacking something in your life that I want to, to strengthen and grow and mature and sharpen so that you will be a mature man of God. So I'm going to give you these difficulties to develop you. That's what he's saying. Which, of course, then leads to this first question that I told you I wanted to ask. And the question is this. So God gives me this difficulty in order to develop me, and I want to see through, and I want to see what his plan is, but I'm just not quite sure what... You know, I don't know what, I'm in the middle of this difficulty, God, and I don't know how to respond. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to think. I don't know how to act. I'm in this difficulty. Now what? Now what? Um, Well, let me tell you now what. Let's Let's take an intermission here for just a moment for a science lesson, okay? Think with me, all right? Let's, you know, put your pencil down for just a minute, and let's... Science. Now, you, in physics, we learn about light. Okay. So what? Okay. You know, we know that light is bright, and we know there's comes in different colors, and we know that it's fast. But what's the nature of light? People ask these questions. Scientists ask these questions. What is the nature of light? And so there are some who uh, say, well, there's the, the lights. There's the particle camp of light. There's the particle group, the particle, the scientists say, well, light is a particle, you know. So if light, if light were like uh, uh, sticky red ping pong balls, okay, uh, uh, painted ping pong balls, and you, you threw those ping pong balls through this doorway, well, of course, some of the balls would bounce off the wall and not get through, but those that would get through would kind of stick to the other side in, in, in the shape of that doorway there, and that means that that's the particle theory, and, 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 and because sometimes light acts like a ping pong ball, but then other scientists would say, oh, no, 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 hold your horses, not so fast. No, 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 sometimes light doesn't act like ping pong particle theory sometimes it acts like waves and, 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 and like water, you know, waves of water just splashing through and then just kind of everywhere, all right? So you have the, the particle camp and then you have the, 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 the wave camp and so you, you know, you have these, these competing and then, and then but then, then sometimes, sometimes say, well, okay, here's how we're going to settle the thing. Here's how we're going to settle the thing. We're going to settle the thing because, because light is both. It's both. Depends on the experiment. And that's why in your physics class, if you will recall, you have the wave-particle duality, which says all objects exhibit at times a wave-like nature, okay, and other times a particle-like nature. So there you go. There you go. Now that's our science lesson. Scientists came to this conclusion because 
they said this. They said, they admitted, they confessed, we have found a difficulty better than what our theory can bear. We have found a difficulty better than what our theory can bear. Notice, you know, (laughs) they didn't say, well, what's wrong with light? You know, if light were really light, then this, this, this wouldn't be this way. They didn't say that, did they? They didn't say, what's wrong with, what's wrong with light? They said, what's wrong with my theory about light? Hmm? Now you have your difficulty. Okay, back to my sermon. You have your difficulty that you have no idea how to handle. And some people respond with, my life is difficult. What's wrong with God? What's wrong with God? Maybe we should ask, what's wrong with my theory about God? I mean, look at yourself now. Some, some of us are dealing with life in, in, in a really... We're, no, we're not dealing with life because we're so convinced that we are so sure how life ought to work. And instead of getting mad at God... Maybe we should say, what's wrong with my theory about God? Maybe my theory about life is inadequate. Maybe I should question my assumption that I think my life should be a bed of roses. Maybe I need a better theory in my difficulty. And James says, when you get to the point where you realize that you need a better theory, that's where verse 5 kicks in. If any of you lacks wisdom... He should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. God is standing ready to give us wisdom to discern and do his will. Because that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is just not gigabytes of information. Wisdom is a spiritual quality. Wisdom is the ability to discern God's will, but not just discern it, but actually do it. Wisdom is about godliness, and and he's ready and waiting to to give us what we need. And and that's why I love Andy Stanley's book, The Best Question Ever. The best question ever. The best question ever is this. In light of my current situation, what is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do in light of my current situation? relationship with so-and-so. What's the wise thing to do? In light of my struggle at work, what is the wise thing to do? And God is waiting for us to ask, and he will give us wisdom when we ask. And that wisdom shows up when we read his word. If you want to know God's will, pray and open up your Bible, and God's wisdom is in his word. God's wisdom shows up through the lives of his people, his godly people, people who have lived long with the Lord and have grown old with the Lord and, and, and people who, who look like and act like and relate like Jesus, who think Christianly and speak Christianly. You rub shoulders with them and you will hear God's wisdom through their mouths. God's wisdom appears through promptings of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit's directing 
Okay, now it's time to bring up that conversation. Now it's time to be still and be quiet. Now it's time to act. Now it's time to do. So God is waiting. When, when we come to him for wisdom, he never belittles us. He never, ever belittles us. And those of you who have had conversations with me in my office or out here in the foyer, you know that I quote this passage of Scripture in my prayer because many of my prayers over you are concerning your difficult situations. And I quote, Lord, would you please give so-and-so wisdom? You've told us in your word that if we lack wisdom, we should ask. And so I boldly ask for my brother or sister or family, or I boldly ask for myself, God, give me wisdom. When you are with me, many times talking about your life situation, you may wonder, what's going on in Randy's mind as I'm thinking? I'm telling you what's going to go on through my mind. I'm praying for wisdom. Just, God, give me wisdom, you know? Just give me wisdom. And sometimes that wisdom shows up as a huge, big, you know, Batman in the sky spotlight. And sometimes it's just a little nightlight that kind of gets us around the corner to the next stage because God calls us to live one day at a time. If you lack wisdom, you should ask. God gives generously. See, he's a giver. He gives good and perfect gifts. He's waiting to give us these gifts. You see, that's what James is telling us here. But there's a stipulation. What's the stipulation in verse 6? But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. He must believe and not doubt. Now, again, I want to be clear on this. I want us to, I want us to hear what James is saying. Doubting is not about feelings of uncertainty. It's not. Doubting is not about feelings of uncertainty. Doubting here is about the failure to act. We're not talking about feelings of uncertainty. We're talking about the failure to act. You see, when we ask God, when we... (laughs) You can't come to the table seeking an audience with the all-knowing, all-wise all-powerful creator and king of the universe asking him for wisdom with the attitude of, well, I'll think about it. (laughs) Don't do that. You'll you'll hear heaven laugh. (laughs) I'll think about it. (laughs) God doesn't want you to consider his will. He wants you to do it. That's why James says, don't you be hearers. Don't be a hearer of the word and so deceive yourself. Because there is one God, and you're not him. You listen. But you don't just listen, you do. Because God is the king, he's not a consultant. And he's not your personal assistant either. He's the emperor. And if we approach him this way, then we become, James says, James says, we become double-minded. We're like a wave of the sea. It sloshes back and forth against the, the beach, blown and tossed and and we won't receive anything from God because he won't give us anything because he's not a consultant. He's the king. And when we do doubt, oh, that's bad. You see, doubt can make a leader speechless at just the moment of time when that leader needs to speak. Doubt can make us indecisive at precisely the moment of time that that leader needs to make a decision. And doubt can make a leader act less 
at just the critical juncture when God wants that leader to act. But instead, they're just beating their head against the beach. And God's waiting to give wisdom because he's good. And he's not silent. And he's present. So my question for us is this. Forget about your New Year's resolutions. Let me ask this question. What is it that God has already told you to do that you're not doing? What is it? And when is that going to change? Well, God allows us to have difficulties to develop our lives. And yeah, when we don't know what to do in our difficulty, we need to ask him for wisdom he's willing to give. But there's a second question I told you I was going to talk about because James talks about it. And it's just this question, and it's a bigger question. It's the question, is this, is this difficulty really worth it? <laughs> I mean, is it, is it really worth it? Is it worth enduring? Is it worth persevering? And James says, oh, yes, it is. That's what verses 9 through 11 are about. In difficulties, there's temptation to focus on the things that we do think are worth it. The secure, tangible, physical assets like money or possession. And these Hebrew Christians were paying a dear price for their faith economically. And James just reminds these Christians... He, He's not against money. Please, if you just yank 9 through 11 out, out of context, you're going you're gonna, to, I fear, come to the mistaken conclusion that, you know, you know money is bad, and being poor is good, and, and in and of it, well, of course not. But, what, but if, we trust, if money becomes an idol, that's a good thing that becomes a, a, a God thing, and that's going to be a bad thing. And what James is trying to say is that when you trust in wealth, that's, don't, don't trust in wealth in your, that's so temporary, especially in your difficulty. He reminds those Hebrew Christians who grew up in Israel that, you know, like the flowers in Israel which appeared one day and then the scorching desert winds came and they disappeared. Don't trust in stuff. You trust in God, especially in your difficulty because it can be gone like that. It can be. Did you see that article in the paper yesterday? In yesterday's Wall Street, uh, uh, Section B10 had this picture. Do you, th- this is a picture of a $100 trillion bill from Zimbabwe. $100 trillion. Huh? Do you know, do you know how much you can purchase? There's a Chicago money manager, you can purchase that $100 trillion bill. You can be a trillionaire in Zimbabwe. Here's how much. $7.99 on the web. Huh? Yeah. You can be a trillionaire. Uh, That's not the end of the illustration. Listen, in 1980, one Zimbabwe dollar equaled one American dollar. That's what you call inflation. So you see, trillionaires in Zimbabwe have no advantage in our country, do they? And trillionaires from the United States have no advantage in God's country either. Heaven. That's what James is trying to say in verses 9 through 11. So why would you put your trust in that? 
There's nothing on earth that's ultimately worth enduring. It's beyond the earth. And that's why James says in verse 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Five months before he died, C.S. Lewis wrote to a woman, a Christian, who feared that her death was imminent. C.S. Lewis said, Can you not see death as a friend and deliverer? What is there to be afraid of? Your sins are confessed. Has this world been so kind to you that you should leave with regret? There are better things ahead than what we leave behind. Jesus says, Peace, child, peace. Relax, let go. I will catch you. Do you trust me so little? Do you trust me so little? And then Lewis signed the letter, yours, and like you, a tired traveler near the journey's end. You see, endure, James says, endure, and you will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So when you face your difficulty, church family, Let's stop looking at the past to see what I did. That's not it. We need to look ahead to see what God is going to do. And God is shaping us. Teresa of Avila once said, From heaven's point of view, the most miserable earthly life will look like one bad night in an inconvenient hotel. That's true. That's true. And that's our outlook. And what would this community look like if the Windsor Road community, if a thousand of us walked out of these doors fully confident that whatever happened to us in our difficulty, God was using to develop and forge in us, not just individually, but as a community, life and faith and maturity. What would that look like? What would that look like if tomorrow morning, if we went to the office and there is that person that difficult person who once again is driving us crazy, if, if instead of saying, God, this person bothers me, instead we smiled to God and said, oh, Lord, thank you, this person sanctifies me. What if we said that? <laughs> what if? And what would it look like if we stopped trying, what if it looked like if we stopped trying to use God to change our circumstances and instead We considered that he wants to use our circumstances to change us. See, this is the vision. This is the vision God has for us. This is where we're going. This is where he wants to take us. He loves you just as you are, and he loves you too much to have you stay that way. He wants you to be like Jesus. And so to do this, he's going to give you the gift of difficulty. God loves you and has a difficult plan for your life. He's going to give you that gift. He's he's doing this because he wants to test the quality of our faith so that if we endure those trials, we will be mature. When we face an uncertain trial, he promises we need to ask in faith, prepare to act, and he'll give us that wisdom so that we can persevere and not trust in anything else but his goodness and his mercy. God gives us difficulties to develop us. That's what James is saying. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world will stand amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways how he ruthlessly performs.
affects whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay, which only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands. How he bends but never breaks. When his good he undertakes, how he uses whom he chooses and with every purpose fuses him by every act induces him to try his splendor out. Church family, God knows what he's about. Amen.